It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks for joining us, friends, on The Line of Fire. This is Michael Brown. For those watching, yes, I am wearing the classic famous James White Kuji sweater in honor of his victory yesterday. We gave it all we could, got all the votes we could, smashed all records for most votes in this online fun Twitter competition where you vote for your favorite apologist. Just just a, a fun thing to do and introduce people who's out there so James bested me. He's gotten the final four. He's got my vote, and I think he's going to win it from here because he's got such a strong online following. But in honor of the victory of James White, wearing my Kuji sweater that he gave me, actually. Never heard of it before. would have known where to get one. So congratulations, James. But wait for my concession video, which we'll put up, I don't know, today, tomorrow, something like that. You will appreciate it. All right, 866-34-TRUTH, 866-348-7884. We've got a lot of ground to cover. We're going to talk about some folks in North Carolina who were arrested praying in front of an abortion clinic. You say, why were they arrested? Well, because they were considered in violation of laws about gathering, even though they were uh, separated and, and doing the right thing in that regard. Their conviction was, hey, if the governor says that an abortion clinic is an essential service, then we'll be praying in front of it. If you're going to keep it open... We'll be here. We'll be talking with them, talking with another guest who's going to enlighten us about the dangers of American dependence on the nations. And I want to focus in on China in particular. So a lot of fascinating stuff to talk about. I'll try to get to some calls as well. 866-348-7884. So as there are more and more dire predictions about what could potentially happen with this virus spreading, and talk now of 200,000 Americans potentially dying. So that, that's an off-the-charts high number. We're going to be affected by it. In other words, you're going to know somebody that this happens to, that's going to happen. You know, it's, it's a high enough number to touch a whole lot of people in, in our country, and it's real tragic. So if it is that serious, if God does not intervene, if the predictions are accurate, then you can understand even more of the reasons for the quarantining, etc. However, what happens when people go too far, when a local mayor or governor goes too far? I am not concerned personally about President Trump that he's going to come after our religious liberties. He's been a great champion for religious liberties. He's the one who said, I, I, I want our churches to be packed on Easter. I want to lift restrictions and I want, to get, I want you to get on with your religious gatherings. So that's not my concern. And for those who are very concerned about Second Amendment, obviously President Trump is not going to be coming for your weapons, okay? If we had someone else in office, you, you might have certain concerns. I don't see those as issues. However, I, I do believe there are issues that we do need to process and talk through and think through. With Pastor Rodney Howard Brown being arrested uh, for holding services in Florida at his church, I, I differ with him doing it. It's not my position, but he's his own man and gives account to God, and he's supported by Liberty Council, Matt Staver and Liberty Council, 
saying that the, the local government has gone too far in their restrictions, that they're inconsistent, that churches offer an essential service, and therefore people should be able to gather together. So they're fighting it from the viewpoint of, of, of civil liberties, and some have said once you take them away, you can't get them back the same way, or some have said if you, if you let them do it here, they'll do it for something else. My position has been that this is merited, that this is wise. Uh, a church I've referenced, uh, maybe a reference yesterday in, in California, they were going to have choir practice, what, about two weeks ago? And they said, hey, it's on. You want to be there? We'll be there. They now have 60 members sick, that's as a, as a less so, and two dead from the virus. So there are consequences. Uh, God forbid, let's just say it happens, that you find out that a bunch of people at Rodney's church got infected or are infected. What if they spread it? What if some people die? Then how do we respond to that? If, if I set up a meeting based on my faith and what I thought was being wise and, and safe and things like that, people came to it. And as a result of it, because I didn't follow government guidelines, people then got sick. I, I, that's the responsibility is on me, is it not? Now, again, I'm sure Rodney thought these things through and, and took whatever measures he could for safety. As I said, I differ with him, but he's his old man, and he gives account to God, not to me, on this. But Matt Staver has said, well, where do you draw the line? What's going too far? I, I talked to a friend of mine, a pro-life activist today, and he said, look, the churches offer essential services to the community. So let's put aside a Sunday morning gathering because we don't need to be together in a building. We can meet with the Lord a thousand different ways, and I believe it's important for pastors and leaders to seize this moment and not just wait for life to get back to normal. Oh, we just get back to normal life as usual, and we go on from there. No, there, there should be an attitude, a mentality of we can't wait to regather and, and be a family and, and enjoy what we do, the benefits of meeting together, but what's God saying to us now? What can we learn from this? How can we learn to be the church more effectively and, and, and live out our calling? Because coming together is important, but being the church is more important than going to a church service. So yes, I'm all for gatherings, 100% for gathering together. But our primary calling is to be the church. So how can we better be the church? What can we learn from this? In fact, as Americans in general, what can we learn from this? I hope that we don't just go back to, okay, normal life again. It's not great. You know, get to watch the rest of the basketball season, maybe, or at least baseball season starting, and go to movies and restaurants and do whatever we do. And, you know, when the bars will be filled and life back to normal. No, it shouldn't just be life back to normal. There should be a sobriety. There should be a recognition of what matters. I'm not saying that all entertainment is wrong or all sports is wrong or that we should just stay in the house and not come out in the future. What I am saying is when you go through something intense, unusual, difficult, painful, you want to learn from it. You want to come out different on the other side. When, when God brings a wake-up call or where something in your life gets your attention and perhaps you recognize the Lord in it, you want to learn from it. You want to seize the moment. I've mentioned this. Now I have a more exact date, April 15th. Be watching for this. A new book that I wrote to address these issues. And how do we live out Psalm 91 in the midst of the storm? And what about government officials? How, how do we deal with fear and, 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 and all the practical issues that come out? What's God saying to the church in the midst of this? How can we seize the moment? What, what, what does that do with Bible prophecy? What's going to happen at the end of the age? Uh, so the book, 
when the world stops, words of faith, hope, and wisdom in the midst of crisis uh, is scheduled to come out ebook form on April 15th, and then you can order a print form that you should be able to get by the end of the month, all right? So this is not April Fool's. This is not saying, hey, God laid it on my heart two weeks ago to write a book, and it's going to be out in, in a week and a half or two weeks. No, this is, this is reality by God's grace. This is how quickly this has happened. So I, I seek to address all these practical issues. But let it not be that we just go back to life as normal. Let normal look different after this in a better way. Maybe we'll esteem things more, relationships more, relationship with God more. Um, I don't have the clip to play for you now, but T.D. Jakes was on MSNBC, and the host said, you know, many people couldn't go to church service on Sunday. He said, I've never done this before on the air, but, but Bishop Jakes, would you pray for us for, for 30 seconds? And, of course, Bishop Jakes immediately prayed, and he, and he prayed in Christ's name. This was on MSNBC. Yeah. I've, I've got an article. Let's see. Is the article up yet? Uh, probably on some different sites. Um, you know, when, when MSNBC calls for prayer on live TV, this is not, this is not uh, an April Fool story. So let normal look different when, when the pandemic is over. Let normal look different. And let it be that in the midst of this, we see the hand of God. What if we got more desperate? What if thou things being shut down, we gave ourselves more to prayer, to fasting, to seeking the face of God, to crying out for visitation, awakening? What if, what if we focused on that more? Then what? What could happen? And different prophetic words about April 15th being a shift. That's when my book is scheduled to come out. But, you know, there's going to be a clear shift in the end of the first phase and a diminishing. Well, we shall see, shall we not? But let it be that there's evidence of God's hand. Let, let it be that, that as people are crying out, that God hears and answers. Let it be that God's people shine like lights in dark places. So speaking to my pro-life activist friend today, he said, listen, it's, it's one thing that different states say abortion clinics can remain open. What, this is an essential service? Terminating lives of babies in the womb is an essential service that should be provided? You kidding me? But, okay, they're open. Well, what about churches in terms of how they serve the community? Forget about a public gathering. What about all the ways that they serve the community? Should they not be recognized as an essential service? I just talked to uh, one pastor, uh, rapidly growing church, a young church, but rapidly growing, and they did a food bank drive, and they have, I think they have meals put aside and and that will stay long-term, like 150,000 meals. They just, people volunteered, whatever they did, bought them, put them together, I'm not sure. They fed hundreds of people this week. That's what the church should be doing. So several things. Should we comply with government guidelines about public gatherings? I believe we should, out of practical wisdom, out of love for our neighbor. And again, people of faith get sick, people of faith die, people of faith get infected, people of faith carry diseases. So we're not exempt from that. Therefore, we use practical wisdom and walk in love. If the government goes too far, should we push back? where we can righteously without endangering others, I say yes. So there should be an outcry in New York against Mayor de Blasio for saying that churches and synagogues that that will remain open and refuse to comply with government guidelines could be permanently closed. That needs to be fought on every level. He needs to be called to account for that, and he needs to apologize for that. What about a situation like in North Carolina or in other states where, where abortion mills remain open? 
should you then be able to stand in front of there, social distance, wear a mask, whatever you're doing, and pray? Should that be legal? If it's not legal, do you push back against it? That would be an instance where you're not endangering others. You are honoring rules of safety. But you're saying if you're going to call that an essential service, then we will be in front of that place performing our essential service of praying and offering the gospel to those who are hurting and those who are in need. We come back, we're going to get first-hand reports from North Carolina about this very thing. Stay tuned. That's CoachDungy.com. It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks, friends, for joining us on The Line of Fire. 866-34-TRUTH is the number to call. Again, we have been urging everyone to comply with government guidelines about public gatherings. At the same time, we have been cautioning about overreach or hypocrisy of local governments and things like that, and where Christian rights might be trampled on. So we have an example right now going on in North Carolina, which has been my home state since 2003. We've had Tammy Fitzgerald on a number of times over the years. She's the executive director of the... Uh, North Carolina Values Association, and uh, we've had Justin Reeder with Love Life on the show. So they're in the midst of a very interesting situation now, and we wanted to talk about it. We wanted to address it. So, Tammy, thanks so much for joining us again on the Line of Fire. Thank you, Dr. Brown, for having me on again. I look forward to the discussion. Sure thing. And uh, you're healthy and safe right now? Absolutely. Just staying at home. Doing what I'm told. All right. So same here. We're trying to comply with guidelines for the safety of others, for the health of others, for their well-being, just using practical wisdom. And yet there's a situation now in North Carolina where there's concern about government overreach or hypocrisy. So as a law-abiding citizen, what's your take? We've got Justin who will be joining us in a moment. But what's your take, Tammy, on this? Well, it's outrageous that abortion clinics remain open in our state as essential services when churches and businesses and restaurants have been closed. And I fault Governor Cooper in our state for failing to apply a directive that his administration issued asking hospitals and ambulatory surgical centers to cease performing elective procedures. Now, you know, abortionists always call it a choice. So that seems to be the definition of an elective procedure, a choice, right? And yes. and yet they remain open. And so what we had happen over the weekend is uh, Justin Reeder, who is the executive director of Love Life, uh, showed up at an abortion clinic that remains open due to the governor's order. Um, and he and some of his colleagues began to pray and walk outside the clinic although they were exercising social distancing, as the government guidelines prescribed, and they were arrested by police. Um, And so it just is outrageous, first of all, because 
um, we have rights under the First Amendment as Christians to exercise our religious beliefs, and even a pandemic shouldn't keep someone who is who is out on the street six to ten feet away from the next person nearest them from praying over an abortion clinic. But um, in addition to that, there are some legal some legal problems with what the police in Greensboro did. Um, you know, being out on the sidewalk is not prohibited by the county's stay-at-home order or by the, the governor's stay-at-home order. It specifically allows people to exercise and um, to be out on greenways and uh, sidewalks, running, cycling, whatever. So the fact that they were outside walking around an abortion clinic should have been allowed under the orders anyway. But in addition, both orders, I believe, are written to um, protect religious groups um, who gather in groups of 10 or less. And at no time did these pro-life groups have more than 10 people out there on the sidewalk. So it's really um, outrageous that the governor would even put pro-life groups in the position they're in by not closing the abortion clinics. I mean, he's, he's subjected them to an unlawful arrest, but he's also put women's lives at risk because the abortion clinics themselves are not exercising the kind of social distancing required by the guidelines. I mean, some of these clinics had 40 women in them over the weekend. So that puts their lives at risk. Mm. Um, besides being at risk of having an abortion, they're at risk from getting the COVID virus. And um, so the governor's order last week to ask ambulatory surgical centers and hospitals also included a request that they donate all of their PPEs and other health equipment to COVID relief efforts. And so it just doesn't make sense that everything else would shut down and yet abortion clinics are still open. And not only are they open, people are being arrested for praying outside of them. So I've uh, got with me now Justin Reed or Tammy. Thank you for being so clear on that. Uh, Justin, you're a a law-abiding guy. You are not known as a rabble-rouser, troublemaker. Were you surprised when you were arrested this first time uh, because you thought you were complying with guidelines, or did you know that this might be coming? Hey, Dr. Brown. Yeah, we were shocked that this took place in Greensboro. Honestly, we thought in New York City uh, we might potentially have you know some pushback like this. But we spoke with the local police department in New York City where we minister out at the large abortion center there. And they were very clear that, hey, you guys have been practicing social distancing, so we're not, uh, we're not, we're not going to have any issues with you guys being out here. We were in Charlotte and thought there might be a little potential pushback there because of the challenges we've had in Charlotte in the past uh, with us and the city leaders. But uh, we showed them the provisions. We had our attorney there. We had a, a written letter uh, showing the provisions within the ordinance allowing us to be there. We are approved 501c3. Everyone was practicing social distancing. Um, and once once we made that clear, we were fine here in Charlotte. But I got a call from um, our city leader in Greensboro saying that they weren't allowing anybody out there to pray. They were completely shutting down the sidewalk ministry effort uh, from, the, from the sidewalk outreach teams and uh, that they were sending everyone home, forcing them to go back to their vehicles and to leave. 
So that was a shock. So we, we took off in the car with my attorney to go up there um, to talk with the police and try to work it out. And we actually even called the police on the way up. And uh, my attorney did and went through the provisions in the ordinance with him. Um, he didn't want to hear any of that. And so we said, well, we'll be there in 30 minutes. We can talk with you. We have, the, we have it in our hands. We can show you. So we showed up um, and to, to work through that with the police officer, showed it to him in the hands in our hands, went, went through the provisions with him, um, and he didn't want to hear any of it. He had already reached out to the city attorney, and they had agreed that uh, they were going to enforce. Nobody was going to be allowed out there. Even though we're on private property that we have permission to be on, five individuals that were practicing social distancing with a huge bottle of hand sanitizer with us, with our t- attorney present, uh, mm. which attorneys are also uh, considered essential during this time, they, arrest, they arrested all, all of us. And um, so, yeah, I was, I was shocked. I was completely shocked by what took place. Uh, there's 20 children there being murdered at that abortion center that day, 200 feet away from where we were arrested for praying to them. And, you know, we, he asked us to leave, and he just said, sir, we, we, we respectfully decline because we, we have a right to be here. We're being lawful in, in this. But number two, there's children being murdered in that place, and you've completely taken away the voice for those children. You chased off our sidewalk team. You chased off our prayer team. Uh, we, we must stay here to be a voice for those hurting moms and those hurting dads inside. So once we made that decision, the arrest took place. Mm. Well, first, it's, it's an honor uh, to be arrested for that cause and, and to stand for righteousness, and, and it's a privilege that many of us never have especially when you're doing everything you can to comply and and rather than putting people at risk you have the potential of saving lives so tammy from your position now and then justin you can weigh in but we've only got a couple minutes what comes next is there legal action that can be taken is is there a pushback what comes next well um initially we north carolina values coalition our organization um sent a letter to the governor last week asking him to shut down the abortion clinic. And not only our group, but six other pro-family organizations in the state called on the governor to shut down abortion facilities like he has other elective surgical procedures in the state. And the governor has not answered our letter, our request so far. But we have had almost 5,000 people now sign the letter, which is in the form of a petition, um, and so the governor's gotten 5,000 emails. The Secretary of Health and Human Services has received 5,000 emails, and it's still available if people want to sign it on our website at ncvalues.org. But I believe there are legal groups, uh, national legal groups, that have contacted Justin and his group. Uh, to represent them in court. I do know that a lot of attention has been paid to this around the country by national legal groups, and I would expect to see a lawsuit uh, sometime soon. Um, this is really unheard of police uh, overreach in a city like Greensboro. Um, not only did they run Justin and his sidewalk counselors and prayer warriors off, they ran off the mobile ultrasound clinic, which was sitting outside the abortion clinic. So if an, if an abortion clinic is an essential service, an ultrasound uh, mobile unit ought to be an essential service as well. All right, and, and uh, yeah, Tammy, thank you. Uh, Justin, I got a call from a, 
pro-life leader who's been on the front lines for over 40 years, and he felt this was tremendously significant and reminded me of civil rights movement, uh, key things happening right in Greensboro with arrests some years back. So may the Lord use this for something far bigger than what we understand. And as I've been telling everyone, comply with government regulations and, and do the right thing. This is one of these cases, friends, where the government has gone way too far. So Justin, Tammy, we're standing with you. Please keep us posted so whatever we can do to help get word out and stand together with you. This is one of these cases where humans overreach and we have to say we're going to obey God and honor him. Hey, thanks. Thanks so much, Justin Tammy, for joining us. We'll be right back. It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks, friends, for joining us on The Line of Fire. Boy, everything's swirling around us in so many ways. What a wonderful moment to know the Lord. What a wonderful time to be in right relationship with Him. If you go to AskDrBrown.org, you can read my latest article. I'm talking about Americans praying that haven't prayed before people turning to God. It's an unsettling time. You ask real questions. What matters? Life and death. Why am I here? It's, it's a great time for the church to be the church and for us to seize the moment, shine the light, make a difference. All right, we're, we're going to transition to a subject that I rarely talk about because I don't have expertise on it, but I have a guest who does, and it's, it's going to be an important interview. First, though, for those watching and wondering why am I wearing this bright, garish sweater, a Kuji sweater, known as a James White sweater. Well, well, he gave it to me as a gift oh, a couple of years ago, and we've worn it together to kind of have fun and, and poke the critics that hate our friendship and relationship. But uh, he beat me in, in, in the, the round of eight uh, in this uh, online apologetics tournament. You, know, you vote for your favorite apologist, so it's just who can generate more online votes. It's all purely for fun. It proves nothing aside from what you can mobilize online. So we, we got the most votes ever, the two of us, but he beat me. So this is my way of congratulating him by wearing the Kuji sweater through the show. Okay, uh, Dean Wegner, founder and CEO of Authentically American, company that celebrates patriotism, believes in the American worker, and honors American heroes by supporting American-made manufacturing. Much more we could say about him. Dean, great to have you on the line of fire for the first time. Thanks for joining us. Michael, it is a pleasure and an honor to join you. Thank you very much. You are welcome, sir. All right. Uh, this is a subject right now that is more pressing on the minds of many Americans because of our relationship with China, because of the realization that we get so much of our medicine from China and depend on China in different ways. Many Americans would obviously feel uncomfortable with that for a number of reasons, but you felt for years that America is way too dependent on foreign nations. So first, paint a picture from your perspective of how dependent we are on other nations. Michael, I will tell you, it is a scary time right now, and it is taking a global pandemic to, I think, wake us up to the reality that we are far more dependent on China and other nations around the world than we ever thought we were. And authentically American, we are a veteran-owned, American-made apparel brand. 
and it's a different concept from what you're wearing to what you're ingesting in your body with drugs and medicine, but it's the same concept that applies. Having gone to West Point and worn the Army uniform, what we used to wear and what's still worn today applied by the Berry Amendment, meaning everything from a national security standpoint had to be sourced, produced, manufactured here in the U.S., and today we're realizing firsthand how challenging it is. So where are we at right now in terms of debt to other nations, dependence on other nations? How, how deep does it go? Michael, I can't talk about other industries and other categories, but I will tell you specifically in apparel, to give you a benchmark, when I graduated from West Point in 1993, over 50% of the apparel in the U.S. is made in the U.S. Today, it's shockingly less than 3%. And I think so many categories and industries out there are similar. And, I mean, think of those percentages. It's astonishing in the millions and millions of jobs that have gone over the seas over the last couple of decades. And, and has there been no benefit for America in the process? The benefit has been a lower cost, but wages continue to rise overseas. And I think too often, you know, the almighty dollar has been the one and only most important consideration and when i launched michael authentically american three years ago we of course need to make money we need to pay our people and pay them a healthy wage but it was more important than that you'd mentioned we're a brand that celebrates patriotism beliefs in the american worker honors our american heroes so we've got to be competitively priced but having the lowest absolute cost it was not the most important criteria for us all right so what's what's the difference between a healthy attitude and, and being authentically American versus an isolationist or America first in a way that is uh, being selfish and not even caring about the rest of the world. What's a, what's a healthy perspective to have and what's unhealthy about our current perspective? I think what's healthy is when we pick a leadership role and say it's not an either or. To me, it's not a choice. Is it America first or is it the rest of the world first? And I think this is such a longer discussion, Michael, but I think it's a delicate balance to say we have to take care of those here in our own backyard. We need to take care of our American citizens, but as a world leader on the global stage, we need to take a leadership position. How do we stand up and not just for our own country, but for our allies all around the world? Right, so I, I only ask that question so no one misinterprets what you're saying or, or misjudges your point. So right now, our relationship with China, uh, wh what happens if that goes south? Uh, how much are we dependent on them for goods? What, uh, what kind of hole could that put us in? Uh, what about debt, where we stand? So let, let's focus on China for a moment because that's obviously on everyone's mind with the pandemic. I think it, it's scary right now, and I don't have the exact percentages, but you know, medicine, for example, and drugs. I was talking with a friend the other day, a fellow West Point grad who's in the pharmaceutical business, and I don't remember the exact numbers, Michael, but it is astonishing and shocking to know, you know, similar to the apparel industry, what high percentage. And this is something that affects people's everyday lives. And if this continues and it gets worse or there's something like this in the future, I mean, think when you know, everyday medicines and pharmaceuticals that people take each and every day are start to cut off. Yeah. And, and that's, 
if, if things get really ugly between America and China, these, these are real possibilities. So we have basically the capability to make what we need. Again, it's not to say we're not trading with other nations, that we're, we're not looking to, to better the world economy overall, but obviously not to the hurt of our own economy and our own people. And in that sense, every country is their country first. You've got to take care of your own, obviously, before you can help everyone else in that respect. But we have the capability of manufacturing things here in America. So it's just a matter, say, of Apple does stuff overseas in China because they get things cheaper, and Nike does it overseas and maybe have labor laws uh, in America that they don't have in China so they can get away with doing things more expensively. But pretty much we could do what we needed to here, maybe just pay a drop more for it, but we could do it here. I believe that is absolutely the case, Michael, and I think what oftentimes gets interpreted is when you look at the total delivered cost because, you know, the wages overseas have always been less expensive, but when you start to look at everything that goes into the total delivered cost to get it back to here, whether there are tariffs that are applied, whether it's the shipping charges, whether it's the, you know, higher inventory that needs to be maintained because it's a longer supply chain. It's a longer story I could tell you back when I used to work with Mars and Walmart on, you know, the perspective that is missed oftentimes when you don't look at all the total costs that go into what it takes to get a product delivered here to the U.S. And to your point, we have the capability. I mean, think back to the Industrial Revolution where our country really came together and it was founded on things we make. All right, so what steps, what steps do we take to fix this? A, a lot of Americans are uncomfortable recognizing the degree of dependence that we have on, on China. And it's not to demonize all the people of China, but we understand the current regime is becoming more and more totalitarian. And then we, we have more and more stories of abuse within China that, that concern us. So that's a concern to Americans. And I think people would be willing to spend a little bit more to say, hey, we, we are, we're not dealing with a country that's abusing their citizens and, and things like that. So what are steps that can be taken, first, just in general, and then second, what are you doing with Authentically American? Mike, I think it is a industry by industry, you know, decision that needs to be made. And from the you know, leadership of our government to help to say, okay, where do we need to start? And apparel specifically, with only 3% being made here today, there is no way overnight, you know, we could even double that. Get alone back to 1993 when I was at West Point. But... I will tell you, the last month we have received more phone calls, more inquiries, more requests to see how companies, how charities, how businesses, how schools can partner with us because first and foremost, we have amazing products because it's made here in the U.S. And then they start to understand the essence behind our brand and how we're a brand that celebrates patriotism. And then when they actually understand the cost and there's oftentimes very little disparity, if we are pricing out versus a Nike or Under Armour, any known national brand. So I think in our specific example, people are really having a wake-up call that there is some national security risk, and that's not the case with apparel. But I think our example is a prime one to say we can do it, we can do it well, we can celebrate patriotism, we can keep Americans working here, and we can do it at a competitive price. And, and you're also saying that there's a healthy holistic patriotism 
that we've celebrated in the past, which is not xenophobic, which is not some type of hyper-nationalism or isolationalism. Because a lot of people hear these things and being authentically American, and they take it the wrong way. But you're saying, no, this is, this is just doing things in a practical way, in a way that we've done in the past. When did the major shift happen? I mean, it's still staggering to hear 97% of apparel made out of the U.S. I mean, I would never have drained anything anywhere near that. But what Michael, was I'm, I'm, Go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm glad you clarified my position because I believe our country was founded on the melting pot principle. Yeah. Countries of all races, all origins coming together. And I personally believe in diversity, and it's not just something we talk about. My wife and I recently celebrated 25 years last year. We have four amazing kids, and our fourth child we adopted from Ethiopia. Mm. And that is because we believe firsthand that you know we need to be inclusive with diversity. And it's not just words I'm saying. We live it by the actions, and that's part of what we represent at Authentically American. Another example, Michael, my last year in the Army, 99 and 2000, we lived in Seoul, South Korea. And we had to have an opportunity to, to travel throughout Asia and visited China, both Beijing and Hong Kong. And we found the people to be amazing, delightful. And this is not about, okay, it's us first, America first, and forget everyone else. This is about how we can go ahead and protect our national security, be a global leader, but also do what's best for America. All right, stay, stay right here. want to ask a couple more questions of my guest, Dean Wagner, and then find out how to find out more about Authentically American. Stay right here. The success of our Christian journey is directly connected to how... It's the Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Get into the line of fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks, friends, for joining us, talking with Dean Wegner. Uh, Dean, if folks want to find you online, find your products online, where do they go? AuthenticallyAmerican.us. Again, AuthenticallyAmerican.us is our website where you can find everything about us. All right, awesome. So I've got a question that will come back to our larger theme. By adopting an Ethiopian child, you being out as a family are exposed to attitudes of racism and bigotry in America. So we can't say that that doesn't exist in our country. You've been exposed to it, correct? We unfortunately have, Michael. Right. And, and so I'm, I'm adding that voice in to say here's a voice that believes in diversity and says that's what America is about. In in other words, you can have a healthy patriotism that is at the same time pro-diversity because that's the history of our country. That's part of our identity. And yet uh, the critics of of President Trump and others that would be extremists on, on one side or the other have caricatured things so much that something as simple as what you're saying sounds controversial to many. Micah, it, it can be controversial, and it saddens me right now, the state of our country. And I believe part of what's happening right now is starting to bring everyone together. 
because it doesn't matter which political side of the fence you're on, whether you're rich or poor. We've seen so many examples where the coronavirus is hitting everybody. And I think this is an opportunity to really bring people together. And your point on have we, and my son, has he faced discrimination, and he has. But it's amazing, those that have stopped to learn and understand why we made this decision. And I remember somebody reached out and said, Dean, authentically American, you are all about people that look just like you. And I shared with them a photo of my family, and that's all it took. They understood, you know, the implications and the long lifetime commitment that it takes to adopt. And that's an example right there where it doesn't have to be either or. It doesn't have to be one extreme or the other. It can be both. Yeah, but uh, again, this is such an opportune time for us to, to learn, to step back. We, you know, we each have areas of focus, and you've devoted your life to certain things. I've had certain ministry focus and, and culture wars focus, and America's dependence on the nations and trade, those things, they just haven't been in my, uh, in my focus and radar as much as I understand they're important. They're just not issues that, that I have expertise to address. But at a time mm-hmm. like this, it's great to come together. Look, there's some people that say, hey, uh, I'm less affected by this because we have a garden and we, you know, we have organic, food, you know, and we, we have our own food and so on. And we're not as affected. And others saying, yeah, you know, we've learned to live certain ways. So this is another thing we can get from this. I've been saying for weeks now, when this pandemic is over, we don't just want to go back to life as normal. We, we want it to be better than it was before. We want to learn some lessons. So this is one of the big lessons that we could learn from this. So in short, if you could sum up how uh, this crisis in America can actually do us good in the particular realm where you're focused, break it down for us real simple. How can we come out of this better as a country than we went into this? I, I would say two things. One, Michael, the one I already mentioned about how you know it doesn't have to be extremes on either end, and that can be politically, that can be racially, that can be you know, your position globally. But I think the other one that I think is really starting to be highlighted is service. Mm. When we start to take an approach where, you know, as hard as it may be on yourself, you know, there are other people out there that are have it so much worse, and what can we do to serve? And, Michael, we're a small business, and this has been incredibly challenging for us because we've thought, how are we going to make payroll? How do we yeah. keep everyone employed? How do we keep feeding everybody? And we were hit with a big dose of perspective on, you know what? There are people out there that have it a lot worse, and we have what we refer to as our hero collection, which is a tribute to fire, police, EMS, military, those are out serving. And we recently added medical professionals to it. And the program we have running right now is a buy one, feed one program. And if you buy a $25 hero collection T-shirt, we then buy a $10 lunch equivalent for one of our American heroes that are out there on the front line right now protecting us, whether it's a medical, fire, police, and the response we have received is incredible. So to me, it starts with service and looking yeah. outside and how you can serve others around you. Yeah, if, if that's our heart, boy, that makes a massive difference. And it, it's God's heart as well, and it's the way that the flow of life comes when we're tight-handed we might hold on to what we have, but we can't get anything else. When we're open-handed, we may lose what we have, but we 
gain much more as that cycle comes back to us to give and to refresh. So, friends, check out AuthenticallyAmerican.us. AuthenticallyAmerican.us. Dean, thanks for what you're doing, and may God bless your labors. Michael, I appreciate it. If you had a moment, I had one question for you. You mentioned that sweater you're wearing. Is I'm sorry. I just cut out for a second. The sweater I'm wearing, I didn't hear the end of that. Yeah, you, you'd mentioned that this was a sweater you were wearing that was part of a fun bet you had. Yes, uh-huh. Yeah, yes. One of our favorite taglines is, where's yours made? Ah, all right. So where <laughs> is a Kuji sweater made? All right. Akai, you need to research that. This was a gift from a friend of mine who's famous for wearing these sweaters, so he just bested me in this fun online competition. So just to, to have fun with it, I've, I've been wearing the sweater, and it's, it really does stand <laughs> yeah, out. So, well, all right. Uh, Italy, could it be Italy? All right, we'll, ha- we'll have to check. But thanks for the question, man. God bless you, Dean. I appreciate it. Thank you. God bless, Michael. All right. Okay, so we're, so Kai was made in Italy, huh? Okay. Yeah, I, I just noticed some, some of my friends and family joining in online. So that's, that's the explanation for the sweater today. Yeah, friends, I, I want to encourage you once more. I sound like a broken record here. But when you go through something that is very difficult, very challenging, for some of us, life is fairly normal. For others, there's massive upheaval. For others... It's a matter of clinging to life right now, literally. So you go through something like this. We've never been through this before as a nation, right? Or, or, or the world together, quarantining on this level, this many people shut in. This potential of something spreading drastically if, if, if measures aren't taken to prevent it. We've never lived through something like this. So much shut down, so much of normal life not happening kids home, schools closed, universities closed, sports canceled, Olympics postponed. Certain things have happened with world wars, but this this in a different level. So to me, I don't need to even fully understand the origins, how a certain thing came about. I want to know, Lord, what are you saying to us through this? What can we learn through this? Sometimes I'll be doing a workout and, and I'm always competing against myself. You know, I don't have a workout partner normally. So I'm doing a workout, and maybe I'm doing a, a strenuous row or something, and I'm pushing, and, and maybe I'm two-thirds through, and I think, you know, I have a chance of beating my best time ever, but it's going to hurt to do it. And I think, you know, I'm two-thirds in. I might as well make the most of it. I've already hurt for two-thirds of this. And, and why don't I finish strong and see if I can beat that record? Okay, it's a very trite, small thing. But when you have something happen that gets your attention, okay, how can I maximize this? We're going through it anyway. We're going through it rather than like, man, when is this going to end? Okay, Lord, what could we do? Here's, here's a brother who says, hey, we can serve. And when this company comes up with an idea, you buy something in us, we're going to take money, even though money is tight right now, and we don't know how we're going to make payrolls as a small business, Instead, we're going to give an incentive that we're going to give through it, and probably they'll, they'll end up with substantial profit, even though that's not the goal. The goal is to give. As they have set their heart to give, God gives back to them. So what's God saying to you through this time? You know, we were joking, Nancy and I have been laughing about this, but she's used to me being away 
course, our kids have been out of the house for many years, both with, with teenagers. And, and she's used to me being away, and she's home alone. And she's perfectly fine with that. 100% fine being home alone, doing what she does. 100% fine with it. And then I come home, and, and life goes on normal. And then I'm away, and life goes on normal. So she's not used to having me home so much. So we've been laughing about this. You know, is it hard? Yeah, she's not used to me being home so much. We're, you know, we're laughing and having, having a good time with that after 44-plus years of marriage, obviously. But at the same time, I'm thinking, okay, while we are home, what's God saying? While my travel schedule right now is lighter than it has been in decades, decades, when I, mean, I can't remember the, the last time I've traveled less than since I've been in full-time vocational ministry and things, I, I can't remember. So, yeah, I want to write more, get some other books finished, was able to write a whole book on, on the church and the coronavirus should be out. Official uh, date for the release of the ebook April 15th, When the World Stops, Words of Faith, Hope, and Wisdom in the Midst of Crisis. I think you'll find it a super practical, edifying, eye-opening book, sobering but filled with hope and reality and practical wisdom. So I get to write more. I want to spend more time with God. But I'm thinking, I, I don't know the next time this is going to happen in our lifetime, or will it happen? So i got to grab this moment while I can. Friends, grab the moment. Let there be some lesson, something, some change of attitude, change of lifestyle, change of mentality, something so that you will seize this unique moment Let it be a time, whoever sent this, whatever caused this, that we redeem for the glory of God. We have an amazing guest on Thoroughly Jewish Thursday tomorrow. You don't want to miss it.